It's the lowdown at 1 o'clock on Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. Hurry in for financing as low as 0% cash discounts and more on remaining 2023 Sierra Half Tons plus cash discounts on remaining GMC and Buick SUVs. WolfGMCBuick.com. We're into hour number two. We had a real big, I think, personal breakthrough on the show where... I've decided at least part of the show from now on is going to be like the McLaughlin group. Friday the Beetle Bomb, seven, no, four. And then the, both of these men said they were a little intimidated by me and they didn't want to disappoint. Let's see if we can go three for three when we talk to Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmund Journal. Uh, Bruce, you're not intimidated by me in any way, are you? Intimidated? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. That voice kind of gets my attention and, you know. Brings me up, brings me in line a little bit, but uh, no, no. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I'm always afraid you're going to bring up April eighth, nineteen seventy one. So you probably have the hammer on me. Delavo from Provost, eleven twenty eight at double overtime, sixty nine. That's that's my hammer card on you. Oh my God, <laughs> I remember that game too. Thanks, Bruce. Um, How about you do? <laughs> So I got up this morning and I went for a walk and there was a gigantor moon. So I don't know what uh-huh. it was called or what it is, but was that a big moon or was it just low tide uh, being overwhelmed? Well, it's a beginning moon, but uh, it is not quite full yet, but it will be in a uh, day after tomorrow. Okay. Oh, Saturday. Okay. Saturday, but it's mighty big and... and uh, uh, and beginning by the day. Well, I waxing, I think waxing gibbous. You can yes. tell Gregor. Okay. Uh, well, I sang that's amore. <laughs> that's how big it was. So it was a very large moon today. Um, mm-hmm. I know you will know this that uh, Nuge is ill. Fogel was yes. on the top line at practice. McLeod was with Leon. We're through the looking glass here, Bruce. Although I will say, I like McLeod with Leon. He seems to be, Leon has the puck more. He gets mm-hmm. to McLeod. McLeod gets a good shooting situation. Obviously scored a goal the other day. What are your thoughts on Fogle and McLeod moving up? Well, my thoughts are when Nuge is out, you've got a bunch of guys moving up because Nuge is the one guy on the entire team who's on the first unit at even strength on the power play and on the penalty kill. And so he, uh, you know, he leaves a few holes uh, in uh, uh, his, if he is unavailable for tonight. And so ideally, that's how you address it, is by giving multiple guys, because there's no one guy that's going to do all those things. I guess McLeod comes closest, but uh, uh, I think, um, you know, they're going to have to sort of mix and match a little bit. And to answer Ree McLeod specifically, yeah, him and Dreisaitl, that is a real nice uh, combination because McLeod, he's just so fast. Yeah. And he's always moving. You know, even when he's gliding, he's like one stride away from what seems like full speed. And he skates as fast going towards his own end as he does towards the other team's end. Uh, So he's very regularly in very strong defensive position. And especially on the line with Dreisaitl and Kane, I like that's an invaluable asset to bring to the line. And any offense on top of that, which he does have some, is uh, um, bonus, really. 
I always think of McLeod and, you know, remember when Gretzky would get, there'd be somebody acquired for whatever and they'd put him on Gretzky's line. He'd score like uh-huh. seven goals in 10 games and you go, okay. Uh-huh. And then they'd trade him off. Like guys like Dreisaitl and McDavid, they just, they elevate everything. They float all boats, right? Well, they do uh, offensively for sure. And it's just a matter of, you know, making sure that they're not giving up too much uh, the other way. Like the other night, there was a play with uh, where they had the, 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 the heart line uh, all out there. And McDavid and Dreisaitl were deep in the zone. And Corey Perry wound up being the high forward. And he just didn't have the boots to cover the play. Yeah. And so, you know, you want to you want to find that kind of balance. I, I mean, I can guarantee you that play would have had a different outcome had Ryan McLeod been in the spot where Perry was just because he would have been able to skate to it. So that's, uh, you know, the challenge is finding that uh, finding that balance and uh, also finding the balance between McDavid and Drysaddle. Do you want them together? Do you want them apart? And the flexibility to do either is a real weapon that uh, uh, Oilers coaches have enjoyed for years. Bruce McCurdy, our guest, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. There's 55 minutes until the end of the show. Uh, You have the rest of the allotted time to solve the PK. Go. Yeah, PK. Well, (laughs) this is where Nugent Hopkins, uh, if he isn't available tonight, they get to try some stuff, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And whatever they've been trying lately has not been working. I think they're 10 for the last 20. Yes. Uh, 10, you know, 50% in the last six games. And it's, uh, the good news is that they've, been, they've come up with some big kills towards the end of games. Uh, but I know at least one case where they gave in two, the first two, and then they finally killed off the third one. And uh, the game the other night was similar. Where, you know, they got the late kill at that kind of put the game away at Arizona, but man, oh man, it's, it's full of holes. Uh, they're getting crushed on the face-off dot, it seems like. And four or five of those goals easily were scored uh, first unit against first unit penalty kill, where Oilers just never could get the puck out of their zone even once. Sometimes it took five or ten seconds. Sometimes it took a minute, but whatever. The, the puck was just cycling and until it wound up in the net. And so something's got to change. They got to, they got to do better on the dot. Uh, Leon is sort of their uh, their ace in the hole. There. I was just looking it up. Leon's played 38 minutes of. Uh, basically, uh, he's played 13 percent of the minutes on the penalty kill, but he's taken 28 percent of the faceoffs. So you know they're putting him out there for that specific purpose. Ideally, he wins them and uh, they get it down and he changes, you know, but uh, uh, less than ideally, if they lose the draw, he's not that great of a penalty killer. So uh, I guess in the perfect world, you go out and you find that right shot uh, centerman who's ace on the draw and a great penalty killer and uh, and you get him in a trade from, you know, for a song, obviously, in a perfect yeah. world. Yeah, well, I, that would be, <laughs> I love it, Bruce. Such a simple solution. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't we, that how it's done this time of year? I, I wasn't going here, but we he's been brought up many times. And I know that, like you said at the beginning, you know, Nuge is the guy in all, you know, three, like, game situations. He plays in mm-hmm. them, including on the top line, and yet... I, I often read people say, well, Nuge is no good. Nuge is fading. Nuge's not, you know, he can't help us. And I I, I sometimes, like, I, I, I mourn for our youth because I just think that, that, like, if you can't see, Nuge to me is the guy that, that 
who was like one of the number one overall picks who actually almost not that he could do everything because he had to learn on the job, but, but mm-hmm. he's instinctively able to play away from the puck in an intelligent way. He just seems to always have had that. Doesn't mean he's always going to have success. There are moments where he tries to execute and cannot, but, but mm-hmm. the, like for me, he's like a future coach because he, he thinks the game so well. And because of that, mm-hmm. he's often near the puck and on the right side of the puck when he's not possessing the puck. And that has value. It has a whole lot of value, and, and Nuge, to me, you know, what he's proven over the years is that he's not a line driver, uh, but he is a wonderful support player, and he can deliver that from center or from wing. Uh, I think he's been more effective, honestly, as a wing, which I never would have guessed that because when I watched him, even when he was with Red Deer, I watched him a bunch of times, and he seemed like the perfect center in terms of how he played his position. Uh, but he's also turned into a pretty darn good uh, winger in terms of, as you say, play away from the puck, being in the right spot, and his ability to you know sort of join up plays, take a pass, and then deliver it somewhere else where it's going to do. This really shows up on on the power play where you know he's a. Uh, a very strong player and uh, uh, a big part of the reason Oilers' power play has been so good these last several years now. Um, he's uh, he t- t- The best comp I have for him is Patrick Marlowe. Uh, Remains so. He was drafted as a center, but he, you know, he got much better in his late 20s when they shifted him to wing because they had a ton of other centers like Joe Thornton and... and uh, and uh, Joe Pavelski and Logan Couture, you know, and they could sort of mix and match guys. And, and uh, Marlowe frequently was the second best player on his line, uh, and he excelled in that position. And uh, Nuge has got, I think, sort of a similar uh, career path that, uh, that Marlowe had, and he was a hell of a player. Bruce, I believe you wrote, and I've not read it, and I'll be honest with you because I just saw it when I was on the air, but I believe you wrote something about Connor Brown. I had a question to ask you. Mm -hmm. I said, is there any hope for Connor Brown? So maybe you can Mm -hmm. extrapolate on my question and talk about what you wrote on your article about Connor Brown. Okay. All right. Well, it was an article at the Cult of Hockey written by David Staples and not by me. Okay. Um, But I agreed with much of what, uh, what David wrote. Uh, and what he said was that, uh, you know, that he he conducted a poll yesterday where basically two-thirds of the respondents said that Brown couldn't help the Oilers. And David pointed out that one person was very strongly in his corner, his coach Chris Knobloch, uh, and he gave extended quotes from, from Knobloch talking about, you know, what Brown can do. How, you know, his scoring totals obviously are disappointing. Uh, he's had some bad luck, you know, posts and phenomenal saves and disallowed goals, but the fact remains he's got zero goals. When his history su- suggests he should have close to 10 goals and, and, and over 20 points, but by 44 games played, and uh, he, he and I and Coach Knobloch all think that Brown is still going to be a player who can help the Oilers down the stretch and and in the playoffs. I mean, this is a guy that you know. Obviously, the injury took a lot more out of him than uh, was hoped. And maybe he's done, you know, and that's not impossible. But uh, I I see promising things from the player. I think he's pretty good on the penalty kill. Uh, he's a decent defensive player, give or take the goal that Harley got the other day, which was a mistake. Yes. Uh, but those are rare. Uh, and it's just a matter of, I mean, that production 
you know, it's hard. You can't get any worse than zero. But at a certain point, you think it's got to turn around. This is a guy that's, you know, scored, uh, on, you know, one goal every five games. Or, sorry, one goal every five games in his career. Yeah. And he's got none in close to 50 games. So explain that. I can't. Uh, can uh, Have we talked about the second periods? We can. I got numbers. Okay. Well, <laughs> give it to me because like, I I always feel like whenever I identify these things, it's like Brett Saberhagen winning 20 games every mm-hmm. second year. As soon as you uh-huh, identify yeah. it, it goes away. But this damn uh-huh. second period just keeps hanging out, Bruce. Yeah, well, it's actually getting worse, worse, worse. Uh, on the season, the Oilers are minus two in the second period and plus 21 in the third. Uh, but <clears throat> that's actually gotten much worse. In the last five games, uh, Oilers outscored their opponents 6-3 to three in the first periods. Then outscored 13-4 to four in the second period. This is five, <laughs> five periods of hockey. 13 goals against to four. And then they've turned it around to pound their opponents 10-3 in the third and also one nothing in the one brief overtime they played. Man. So it, it's just, it's absurd. Uh, you know, our, our data supports it. And we do uh, um, uh, analyze grade A chances and the orders are pushing, you know, 57, 58%, right around where they are in expected goals, high danger chances, even though we're, we're, we're using uh, different formula for what we're looking for. But, you know, they're right up in the high 50s, which is real good. And yet, in the second period of the last, uh, uh, the last five games, it was 22-4 and 39 against. Wow. So again, like more than half of the five of the grade A chances that they'd allowed in those games came in the one period, which is, you know, by my math, a third of the game. So it's just shocking. And it's, I mean, games like the other day, it was like the Bakersfield Condors played the second period and they sent the whole team down in the intermission and they changed jerseys and the Edmonton Oilers showed up for the third. It was just night and day between in, in Arizona on uh, on Monday. Yeah. Is it because I always, you know, typical fan? I'm like, okay, their 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 line changes are bad. They're out too long. All that stuff. Uh, I notice that they're pinching, but I, they do that in every period, and they get caught on that. Do you have any uh-huh. theories aside from line changes and and shifts too long? Uh season too long. Yeah, you know, I think they've just kind of hit a flat spot, and. There's, you know, players that we're not accustomed to see making mistakes like Matthias Ekholm has been jumping off the screen at me for making real bizarre pinches Yeah, at yeah. The, on the sideboards and center ice zone and getting beat. And chaos ensues. And he's not, you know, he's, I mentioned his name specifically because he's an unlikely culprit, but he's been one. And there's just been some, some little bit of poor decision-making, maybe a little less... Uh, 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 circumspect handling of the puck at the blue lines and not enough coverage from the forwards. Like when the defenseman makes a mistake, well, it's a two on one because there's, you know, no forward in frame. And, it, you know, that's uh, that's always some bad news. It was in the early part of the season. And right now it's, uh, it's a thing. And, you know, especially in the second period, that long change, I mean, every team has to deal with it. And it is a huge factor in games that I think a lot of fans don't account for. Like, there's more scoring in the second period. Shifts are longer. 
there's uh, there's uh, a number of effects because that far bench is a long way away for the for the defenseman on the penalty box side to get to, and also the near bench is a very short trip into the offensive zone by the opposing team if they happen to be cycling the puck. Well, those same factors should work equally both ways, but for whatever reason, that second period has just been. Uh, a real struggle for Edmonton. That's I, honestly, I think it's a focus thing more than anything else. And yeah. I think, well, we can win. You know, when it comes down to down to crunch time, we can you know bear down and win this thing. And often they do. So it's hard to be. You know, they've won four out of their last six with the crappy penalty kill and the bad second periods. So I've still won four out of six. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> well, they're a wonder. <laughs> 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 oh, I do wonder, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, Bruce, you have a great week. i got five more questions, but we got to go. Thank you. Okay. Well, my favorite rom-con, I had to long think about it, and I think it comes down to it's between the fifth element and Groundhog Day. Mm. Guy gets girl at the end of both, so yeah, I was well, a happy ending. And, you know? the, and what happens to the <laughs> Groundhog, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> he kind of blows up in one scene, but he lives to fight another day. Well, so. you know, it's only a movie. Or the, same, the same day. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Alan. Have a right. great week. You too. Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. We'll take a break. Your comments about what Bruce said, your comments about tonight's game, and some injury issues on both sides. Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 for Wolf. GMC Buick. Check them out at wolfgmcbuick.com. Low Tide, is there any appetite for the orders to go after Jake DeBrusque? That's from Cliff77. Well, I wrote about it in The Athletic today, and I don't know. But I here's what I do know. The Bruins and the orders have several issues. They have cap issues. They have uh, needs that are very specific. And they are limited in what they can send out in terms of assets. So the reason I I suggested the the four person four player trade is that it addresses the weakness the big weakness I think of the Bruins which is as you saw with Hampus Lindholm being out week to week left defense they get a more durable defenseman who can play and then for the Oilers they get I think a better scoring winger and there's risk on both sides because Fogel is scoring well when he's playing with Leon and he's with McDavid tonight. So uh, he's scoring well. But my guess is, and my suggestion in the article is that Jake DeBrusque will do more. will be able to score more than Warren Fogel. That's basically the idea. I have zero, zero knowledge of them being interested. I pulled it because I think DeBrusque is faster than some of the guys that they are looking at. Uh, they're, they are already pretty slow. I would like to see them get a, a speedy winger. Um, Declan, do you have a like a, an A choice? Besides Gensel? Well, he's hurt now, so. Yeah. Uh, um, ooh, an A choice just in t- as a winger. Well, you can pick a defenseman if you prefer. I. The more I deep dive into the numbers... And the more I look at things, I've become a little enthralled with Adam Henrique as a three C. Okay, I don't I know like if it centerman. Is, yeah, I just don't know if it addresses the biggest need. Like I would still love a top six winger. Then well, a what name. if McLeod scores again tonight? Does that change your mind? Is Henrique then a good idea? 
even if McLeod was to go off and have, you know, an incredible performance tonight, I just don't know if I'm personally confident with him being a second line winger moving forward and into the playoffs. I think he's a fine player. I think he can play there. I'm more comfortable with him on my third line. And as such, like, I don't know if it would have to be a continued pattern of incredible performances and doing the little things well for me to say, yes, this guy is going to be a top six, top six winger moving forward. What's harder playing third line center or playing on Leon's third line uh, left wing? I would say, I would say being the third line center is tougher. Yeah, I like I like McLeod there. I won't go. I won't lie. But I like you? McLeod too. Yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to poo poo McLeod. I like Ryan McLeod a lot, but poo-poo I just McLeod like McLeod would be a great like a, a, a shooting guard. Poo poo McLeod. That'd be a fun name to say, especially for, sure. for the commentators. But uh, yeah. if you're giving me my one bullet in the chamber, um, if I, if it was for third line center, which I, that wouldn't be my bullet in the chamber, but if it was for third line center, I would say Scott Lawton. Out of Philly. And he apparently is available at a heavy price. At a heavy price, but you get multiple years of Scott Lawton, great third-line center. He would be my guy for 3C, but my personal bullet in the chamber, I would have to lean into Vladimir Tarasenko. I think he's the easiest to acquire, uh, impact player that is. Uh, five million, you can you can get them to eat half of that. Vladdy Tarasenko, he'd be my bullet in the chamber. I think he would give you the biggest impact at that dollar figure. So... Notice he uses a lot of violent lingo in language. Bullet in the chamber. Started and ended the same way, yeah. Yeah. Didn't have to say it, but went right there. There are other options. You know, this would be my choice, he could have said. Kind of a, you know. That's kind of the way I went, you know. I was a little nicer, but with it. It's sort of a tell about about Donovan. Maybe a little bit, you know. Do you own any weaponry? I do not, no. Okay. No. Sorry to disappoint. Oh, no, no. I'm glad of that. I'm... You know, I, I I don't feel you're threatening, especially with that haircut. But <laughs> here's the th- here's the thing with Vlad for, with Vlad for me. This guy's going to be a rental for the end of the season. You know, maybe he resigns. You never know that. But he's going to be a rental for the end of the season if Ottawa eats half that contract. What package goes back okay. to Ottawa to entice them to eat half that contract? And what's worth it when you're only getting him for maybe one playoff run? Well. Ken Holland has said he's not trading the first round pick for yes. a rental. So that's off the table. So if it's an Euler deal. And I Vlad th- is a rental's rental. Right. So I don't think Broberg would be a part of the package either. So then you're looking at a second round pick, Lavoie. I don't know. I don't know what the, like, what are the, the senators don't really need anything. They just. Need everything at the same time. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I think they would really, I think they, they need goaltending, but they don't need a prospect goalie like Olivier Rodrigue. They need a guy. And the Oilers don't have a guy, aside from Stuart Skinner, to give them. Here's a question for you. Mm. If you're getting a Vladimir Tarasenko, would you send out a Warren Fogle for Ottawa to, to then flip to make money work very easily? Because if you're getting Ottawa to eat half, you could say, listen, Warren Fogle's worth, I don't know, X pick, third round pick maybe. I, I don't know okay. what he's worth. But let me, let, me, let me ask you, what are, the, what are the top three lines now? You've sent Fogle away, Tarasenko. So it's McDavid, Nuge, Hyman. It's Leon, Tarasenko, Kane. And then it's McLeod, Holloway, Perry. I mean, yeah, you could. I think you could very easily run that. I'm not saying I would trade Warren Fogle. I'm just saying there's there's How ways around this. How fast is Tarasenko? Uh, I, I I think he's still a fast player. I mean, he's slowing yeah. down. He's a got little pretty bit, good but, foot speed, but he's not you know not lighting the world on fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he he uses his his size effectively. He's kind of built like a tank, right? That's, that's kind of what he's he's done his whole career. Was there something wrong with people who are built like tanks? Uh, n- no, I, I right. in this case I think that's a that's a positive. Oh, so just some of the people who built like tanks that you don't like. 
Um, sure. Sure. We'll, we'll say sure. The clergy, then the Blue Jays, and now this. Swifties. Low Tide, one more thing I want to pitch to you is Jason lately has really, really been hammering home the need to improve the fourth line. Mm-hmm. And more and more, I find myself thinking the same thing. Dowd's hurt, by the way. I know. Concussion. So my, my question is, is... Because we ran through this the other day, and I said top six winger, second pairing defenseman, fourth line center. I think Donovan, your list was a little bit different. Do you guys have a – do you think there's a more pressing need now for someone on that fourth line to bolster things who obviously can come in and kill penalties? Here's what I want out of the fourth line, and I don't know how to solve it, and it probably is going to come from outside. They're too slow, guys. They're just really slow. I like Gagne. I like uh, Derek Ryan. Brown's boots are okay, but – you know, they, you can't, I don't think you can have two slow guys on any one line. And so that mix, right now we talk about Brown or Gagne, but that's a real thing come playoff time because sure as hell, when the playoffs start, the other team is going to have a fast train fourth line. And you can't get, you have to have somebody back. And they've got Perry in the top six, Ryan, Sam Wise. How many slower guys can you have? Would you run Dylan Holloway on your fourth line come playoff Well, he time? really helps. Honest to God. As a fourth line center, he just changes the entire complexion of that line. I don't know if he's got the chops now to play the two-way game, but, I mean, if it's hauling ass to get back, he can get back. So, in, in theory, what would you think of, uh, I, I don't know, a Dylan Holloway, Derek Ryan, I don't know, let's just throw out Oscar Sunquist, like fourth line. Well, I like Sunquist, so yeah. I mean, I think that's, like, I think Derek Ryan is the smartest guy on the roster. He's really bright. Well, uh, McDavid is different, and Leon, too, but, like, you know, Derek Ryan's real smart. So, I like having him on that fourth line. I think he helps. And if you've got Holloway taking the left-handed face-offs, not bad at all. And then, and Sunquist is... I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a quiet choice. People don't mention him, but he would be an interesting option, and he's got some range of skill. So, okay, I'll do that. Go ahead and make the call, Ken. <laughs> I mean, Sunquist had a productive year. He's a big player. I, I think he checks all the boxes other than he doesn't win face-offs. That's really his only knock. When we say check all the boxes, how many boxes are there? I mean, for for the Oilers on a fourth line center, I, I think you got to be able to kill penalties. Yep. You got to be have some size. Yep. You've got to be able to skate. Yep. And I I would like some production, mm-hmm. which I I think all those boxes Sunquist would check, but the only thing he can't do is is his his face off percentage. Gregor's pointed out it's not not great. Uh, and and once you get into the playoffs, all bets are like Mark Lamb in 1990. He was not a classic. You know, center of a of a line that was an effective outscoring line, but that's what he became, and he was really good at it. So, the, what I like about the idea of Sunquist is that you could use him in different spots, and he could he could move over, he could move to the other side. There's a lot of um, variety, a lot of utility in that player. I like that about him. Sorry, Lotad, I hate to uh, point out your mistakes. You can have two slow guys on the same line if you're Calgary. <laughs> Don't say that on the air. It may cost us a draft pick from Gordoyle. <laughs> Honest to God, I'm telling you. Uh, that that still enrages me that they, you know, it's almost like they said, okay, they got McDavid, so we'll punish them and make them give up a pick for McClellan and a pick for, for Shirelli. And then they said, it's still not enough. When we do the Lucic trade, if it doesn't add up to the math in the co- in the the trade deal, we'll just 
we'll just say we're extrapolating. And that's exactly what they did. Also trade for Konechny. You know, people keep using, I don't think he's gettable. Certainly not by the orders. Konechny is like, he's the kind of guy Philadelphia doesn't trade. I remember years ago. Like, there's this notion that Philadelphia are just some incredible sellers and will yeah. do whatever we need to make it happen. And that is not the truth right now no, with this Flyers isn't. team. I remember years ago, Everly was struggling and Philadelphia was coming here. And Wayne Simmons for Everly was the rumor. And Philadelphia got here. Simmons had a big game. They won. And then they took off. They had a massive winning streak. Waters did not. And that was the end of the rumor. But Simmons is exactly the kind of guy Philadelphia doesn't trade unless they're getting a rugged type back. That's the kind of player they like. And I don't know what you'd have to give up for Konechny, but it would be a lot. My favorite Philadelphia flyer, Sean Couturier. I love watching that guy play. It's like Nuge East. It is. He's a really, really good player. Well, come be, come be Nuge 2.0 West, according to a lot of people. They want Proveroff now. It's just, it's just ex-Flyers now we're looking for. Lotai, what's your thoughts on the Oilers getting Anthony Mantha? Well, he's had a good run. Uh, I did look at him, and I don't think he'd cost much because he's got a big contract, right? Like uh, five point seven. Yeah, yeah. So you'd split that in half. And I was actually talking to Hart uh, from Puckpedia. If you don't follow Puckpedia, what are you doing? But I asked him about how much money they'd have left, and here's what he said: As of today, that was yesterday. What is cap space is can fit one point six nine million. But if they waited to do the deal right at the deadline. That space grows to two point three seven million. So the trade that I, the trade proposal that I made in my article today, is doable without retention and without having a third party involved. You could do that trade, and that is a that is a, a little wrinkle that we couldn't talk about a year ago because of LTIR and Oscar Kleppbaum. So now we're going to take a break, but before we do, I want to. Oh, he went away. Uh, do you have time, Declan, to talk to us for a second? Yes. Where were you? Absolutely. I'm sorry. My uh, my laptop here was just running out of juice. I had to uh, plug that in. Well, Need please do for, that. Uh, yes. For a lot of reasons. So yeah. have that all, all well and squared now. Well, just so people know, you kind of, after you're done this show, you slide in and do a lot on the next show. Yes, absolutely. You know? And then, like... And then you do things afterwards too. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm a busy bee. I don't. You get, totally uh, yeah. are a busy bee. I don't get out of here until about seven usually. And then you're going to the basketball, soccer, soccer. Tonight, yeah, well, it's soccer also a good sport. Tonight. And you're going to score a bunch of assists. <sighs> Most likely, yeah. yeah. I'm a facilitator. I'm De Bruyne, as I've said wow. many times. So, well, yeah. I've called you a De Bruyne in many different instances. You have, and you've done it with a with right. pursed lips and yeah, a yeah. wrinkled forehead. Pursed lips. The, that's the big thing right there. Uh, so. We're going to take a break, but I want to set this up because sometimes we don't do it with your features, and I want to. We just always say, okay, thanks, Jason. We're coming up, and we don't sell it a little bit. So what's coming up on Duncan with Declan? Duncan with Declan today, we're going to talk about the historic falloff of the NBA All-Star Game. Games return tomorrow. Big slate of games. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what each team's ceiling is after the all-star break who's going to fall out who's going to stay in things of that nature so 
nothing about the 76ers? Oh, we can always talk 76ers. Don't okay. you worry about that. Well, maybe since there's other teams in the league, we can avoid the 76ers this one time. There are other teams other than the 76ers. Pat Beverly went out, went in against the uh, 76ers a little bit, said there are guys there who are just caring about their stats. When he's in Milwaukee now, that team wants to win. So we'll get into that. I like it. I like the idea of smartening up in Philadelphia. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. They're hammering the trumpets. The strings are going wild. What a song. What an intro. Duncan with Declan. This is the Lowdown. We're brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Check them out at wolfgmcbuick.com. Declan, does that music, like, give you adrenaline to run around the whole mall and back? A little bit. It yeah. really makes me think that, like, I can go out on the NBA court and drop 25 and seven dimes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I picture myself stepping back, giving James Harden his own move, a little step back to the left, one, yeah. two, skip to my loo. Nothing but buckets. Would My you goodness. would you wear some facial hair against Harden or a fake facial hair? No, but I would wear a shooting sleeve for okay. sure. Shooting sleeve on the left arm, high socks, stepping back, bracelet on the right wrist. So straight would you be styling or would you be setting new trends? I would. No, I'd be styling. I wouldn't be setting new trends, I okay. don't think. If anything, I'd be trying to rip off AI because I would. And I, in an ideal world, I'd wear cornrows as well. Wow. Right? Yeah. I used to Can really. Can you? Because your hair. No. Oh, I'm sure it's not conducive to cornrows, but I used to really want them when I was like eight years old because of Allen Iverson. So you want to talk about the cultural reach Allen Iverson had? He had a white kid in Canada wanting cornrows. Here's the thing about Allen Iverson that drives me crazy. Everybody just talks about the, you know, practice. Yep. Do you, does anybody have any idea how great a basketball player that guy was incredible because he was he was listed at like six one but he was about five eleven yes truthfully yeah he was an incredible talent i mean his crossover on mj back in 96 i think it was his rookie year put the world on notice incredible talent the one thing i'm going to say is that 2001 team that made the finals mm-hmm. everyone says that was Allen iverson against the world that team had the defensive player of the year the sixth man of the year and the coach of the year Allen Iverson was the man, don't get me wrong, but this notion that it was just Allen Iverson putting up 40 every night with a bunch of bums around him, he was putting up 40 every night, but that team had a lot of pieces as well. I will say this, that I'm a 76ers fan because of Dr. J, but Iverson and Embiid were were absolutely transcendent talents. Oh. Well, Embiid still is, but what, what, and I love Barkley too. Yeah, Barkley was great. Barkley was another one. That guy, he was about 6'4". He was getting 14 rebounds a night. Like he was, in, him and Dennis Rodman, two guys who weren't the tallest, but they wanted that ball. They knew how to box out well. Boxing out is such an, I'm not going to sit here and try and coach anyone, but boxing out is such an underutilized part of the game today. Like people don't coach boxing out the way they need to because it is such an important part of the game. Yep. It's grimy. People don't want to do it, but it is so important. It's, it's lost. What happened to the game I love? Yeah, well, you're right, though. There's a lot. It's just about shooting now, and it's they've lost a lot of the, the oomph and the bump and the grind. Well, some people think Steph Curry changed the game for the worst, yeah. and I don't necessarily know that's know if that's true because the analytics suggest you only need to shoot 33% from three to, sh- to have the same amount of points as shooting 50% from two. Mm-hmm. So it works out in that favor, but I agree there. A big issue a lot of ex-players have is that the game is not being taught the right way. Not everyone is going to shoot like Steph Curry. In fact, I would go as far as to say there's one person person in the history of basketball who shot like Steph Curry. Right. That's not conducive 
impressive to the kids today. You need to learn how to run pick and rolls. You need to learn how to run motion offenses. You need to learn how to finish strong. What the about basket, the sky hook? Like Let's that. bring that back. The sky hook was the most unstoppable move ever. My goodness. That's like, I don't gorgeous. know why that wasn't more utilized because Kareem, for the time when he was the all time leading scorer, that was the most unstoppable move ever because he would kind of guard you well, with his left how arm. How are you going to stop it? it? Like, it's like the, the, the arc and That's the what I'm wingspan saying. is seven like, one as well. <laughs> it's crazy good. Yeah, it was a, the, that was an incredible move. I don't know why it wasn't more utilized by other centers. I think because of, like the guys who came after him, right after him, the Patrick Ewings, the Shaqs, the Hakeems. Hakeem was more mobile, yep. but Patrick Ewing and Shaq was, were right. shoulder down bully ball. David yep. Robinson was that way as well, but what a move that was. This is good. I love talking. Did you see Shaq at LSU? He was a screamer. My God. It was like he'd play and you'd go, well, they're going to give him a rest now because yep. they've already won the game. He um, was so good. No, he was incredible there. Left off the dream team for Christian Leitner back when they had to have one college guy on the team. Probably should have been Shaq. Um, and Shaq actually came into the league was, I believe, I, this may be incorrect, so I apologize if it is, but I believe he was second in MVP voting his rookie year. He I might have he, been. I think yeah. he had like 29 and 13 his rookie But he year. was, he was such a freak. Like, he was so unusual, right? Like, And he was physical like he was fully blown he joked him and grant hill did a round table kind of discussion one time and grant was talking about how you know when mj left and the stars of the 80s were declining there was no real face of the of the league for a short period because Shaq was emerging and Shaq made the joke that i did i wasn't emerging i came out emerged yeah and boy did he because he, he did. came in and was a force immediately made that 94 finals with the magic he was he was something he wrote he he did a song i'm not going to say the name of it but it is the most vile <laughs> lyric in the history of time. And it people played it like it was nothing. That's how big a star Shaq was. Yeah, the diesel. He was something else. Yeah. Anyway, what happened to the game I love? That was a sentence I said a few minutes ago. It rains true. This past All-Star weekend was 211 to 186. The All-Star game has become a close. complete joke. <laughs> it, be- it was 104 to 89 at halftime. You know how many three-pointers both teams shot combined? No. 168. The game has become a complete sham. It's unwatchable. The dunk contest has uh, had a fall from grace that I never thought we would see. And to a lot of these guys' credits, we've seen all the dunks before, right? Yep. Like, it's hard to emulate what we've already seen. It's hard to surpass that. The 2016 dunk contest between Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, we were blessed because, you know, they put on you a hell of a show that we can live up to. You know. Yeah, listen, there, but something needs to be done about All-Star Weekend because it is so it is so watered down from what it once was. In this past All-Star game, my goodness, like, we need to do something to initiate a little bit of competition between these two because like I said it's unwatchable I want to see the best players going at it I want to see the best players in the world battling to see which conference are in supreme I don't want to see you know a 53 56 point quarters every time out I don't want to see these guys shooting 168 threes I want there to be some type of incentivization for the all-star game because there needs to be watchable again like it's just become a spectacle and there's nothing wrong with that but it's taken away from what it is completely when 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 all-star games are their best somebody Early on, gets some momentum. Um, in 79, Gordy Howe was just on fire, and they didn't give him the car, which is insane. They gave it to Reggie Leach. But the storylines that come out, it used back in the day, I remember this very well. They'd decide Magic would talk to whomever about who was going to win the MVP, and they would just feed that guy. Mm-hmm. And then that became the storyline. The problem is there's no real storylines, and they're they're – they used to they used to accentuate the hot young player and then elevate him and i don't know that they do that anymore no i think you're probably right i think you're probably right to a large degree i don't know what what a quick answer or what a short answer would be but 
So people are saying, what about Jokic? Is he like you? You're saying. They're not taught the right well, way. What about? Yeah, I was just actually replying to this text yeah. in the middle of conversation because my thing is, you know, Nikola Jokic wasn't an 8 to 12 year old from 2016 to 2020 when Steph Curry was shooting the way he was shooting, lighting the league on fire, right? right. Like it's those kids who are first I getting understand. into the game of basketball. Nikola okay. Jokic is incredible. He plays the game the right way. He has incredible vision for the court, can play back to the basket, can can post up, does all the things very well. But he wasn't someone who was getting into basketball, learning the sport as an 8 to 12 year old with Steph Curry being the face don't of the league, doing so, what he was doing. Don't you think, though, Declan, that that it's like, how do I put this? It goes in waves. Like people say, well, it's it's gone this way. That's wrong. But somebody will devise a way to, you know, you 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 talk about blocking out or the skyhook. Those maybe a different version of those things will occur. Right. But part of it is you have to be able to. I guess the next step would be able to make sure your two pointers were at a high level. So that even if you're shooting three points at 33%, you can't get there. Yeah, exactly. Like find high percentage shots and work high percentage offense. And like, listen, there's nothing wrong with shooting three pointers for sure. But my point is not everyone is going to be Steph Curry. Not everyone is going to be a Clay Thompson. Not everyone is going to be in that Golden State Warriors offense. Those are two generational players, generational shooters that we had never seen before. These kids today aren't going to just show up and shoot like Steph Curry. They need to learn to play the right way because... Listen, 40% is an incredible clip. If you can shoot 40% from three, you are shooting at a very good clip. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. like if you can shoot 40%, you're doing something right. So these everyone today isn't just going to show up and start shooting 33%. Teams as a whole are not going to sh- start shooting 33%. They may. They may do it for a time, but it's probably not conducive to a continuous success of basketball. Getting high percentage looks, getting... You know, getting low post shots, getting layups, things like that. Those are the things that are timeless. And I'm not trying to take away from three point shooting. I love three point shooting. I think it's you know good for the game. It's exciting, but it's just it. Not everyone is going to do what those guys do, and that's why I think people need to learn the game in a different way. So I have a question for you. I checked down like during the All Star break of the NHL. I watch as much basketball as I can, and vice versa. When the basketball yeah. is on the All Star game, I watch as much as you know hockey as I can. But after the All-Star break, I think we sort of kind of gear up for the season, the run to the playoffs, right? This is when it really counts and matters. Well, a lot of people think that the NBA season really kind of begins around Christmas. Right. And right when the NFL starts to wind down. And I think that's true. And like it's the same thing with the NHL. It's an 82-game slog, right? Mm -hmm. And it's... Like what, this has been said to death, but when you're LeBron James and you made eight straight finals in the Eastern Conference from 2011 to 2018, or you're you know Steph Curry who's got four, like you can't get up for every regular season right. game, right? And yeah. the second half of the season is really when things start to kick into gears. Teams start to take things a little bit more seriously for playoff position. Things start to matter a little bit more. The one thing is now the NBA has a rule that you have to play 65 games to be award eligible, and to be award eligible and make some of those All NBA teams now affect contracts moving forward. Have for a little while, so that's another incentive that you're going to see stars missing less games you're going to see you know more players playing in big moments and when they need to be which i think is good for the game good for the league Um, but yeah this is when the season really starts to get going really starts to pick up Derek says uh they could have put that storyline focus on halliburton but he was so close to winning the mvp in his home arena uh lillard went out and sunk late threes to take the mvp away should have at least given it to the young guy at home in my opinion i think that's kind of what the all-star game is about is rewarding youth and having uh, new stars emerge. That's just my opinion. 
I agree. And Tyrese Halliburton, he was my pick, actually, to win the All-Star Game MVP. He's done a lot for Indiana. He is a great foundational piece they have there. He's going to be good for many years to come. I would have loved to see him get the MVP. He shot 10 for 14 from three. I think Damian Lillard shot 11 for 22 or 23. He high far. He, I think he made one more, but he shot way more. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton was great. Did it in less minutes than Damian Lillard. Uh, was passing the ball well for an All-Star Game, obviously. You know, it's defense is a little easier in the All-Star Game. It's not like some of the assists you're going to see in game. But I I would have loved to see Tyrese Halliburton win it as well. I think it would have been a great story. And I think it really would have catapulted him to being what one of the true faces of the league could be. Because we look at some of the faces of the, of the league right now, the true faces of the league, the Steph Currys, the LeBron James, the Kevin Durants, those guys are all older. Now, we do have another generation of Joel Embiid's, Nikola Jokic's, Luka Doncic's right. right there. But in a small market like Indiana, I think it would have been great for Tyrese Halliburton to get that push and truly kind of become one of those superstars of the league. In the NBA, can you be a small market team and win consistently? Like yeah, you, can't, I mean, you can't in baseball. If you have the right player, you can. I mean, look, Milwaukee did it. They, no, they haven't won consistently, but they still won one with yeah. Giannis a couple years ago. Cleveland won one with LeBron. Right. Um, Toronto know, is not a small market. Toronto is not a small market in terms of you know actual Metropop, but I would say in terms of the NBA and attracting free agents, it's a smaller market. I know it's not in terms of actual population size, but just in terms, it's not one of the glamour markets like New York or Boston or LA, something like that. No. So you definitely can. It's a little tougher to do it consistently consistently as is with any sport of course but it can be done i don't think it's as rare and i think if you can get a superstar because basketball is the one sport where it is most dominated by one player if you can have one player you can take over the game in a way you can't in other sports Mm -hmm. if you have that player in your small market you're on you're on the right path all right i don't want to take any more of your time you have anything else to add uh no low tide i'm all done thank you for uh, giving me this platform appreciate it no i i you break i i cannot speak as expertly about the nba as you uh we would be on by now, I would be talking about the 83-76ers. We can talk about that as well, because I know you want to talk about Moses Malone and Mo Cheeks. You know, you know what drives me nuts is? I, I love Dr. J, but the amount of, of disrespect for Moses that, like, they, he get, you know... Moses might be the most underrated player ever. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and I'm you, t- I'm serious, man. Mo Cheeks does not no, get Mo Cheeks was great. My goodness, one of the better point guards that the kids today don't know about. <laughs> I love that era. I love the Portland Trailblazers. There was there was some really from seventy. I don't know. Oh, so you're a Bill Walton guy, is what I'm hearing. Love Bill Walton. Mm. Yeah. Who doesn't? Well, Kareem. I think they both shortened each other's careers. Although Kareem forgot to stop. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if Kareem's was shortened, but Bill's certainly was. But, but I'll tell you, Bill had that two year prime where he was as like, good as any center in the league. He but was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Like they, when they won, what year did the Trailblazers win 70, 77 or yeah. 78 unbelievable and yeah. you know he was still he was hurt then too like he yeah. wasn't he was starting to break down MVP finals MVP champion all in the same season I think it was 77 no. might have been 78 nice work deck from Husks Husks is my guy we constantly talk about basketball on the text line so I appreciate that very much Husks thank you very much I don't talk to people on the text line do they are they upset um I, yeah, I mean, I, as was, as is with anything, I think some people have a tendency to get get upset, and nothing wrong with that. We we address it and we it's move on. It's just that I can't talk and chew gum at the same time. I hope people know that. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I, I just can't do both. You know, I think I've proven that. Yeah, it's that's a skill, though. Walking, like, come on. Well, Don't I, sell yourself short. If I'm talking and I'm typing, it's going to be, this is what it's going to be. And then they went, 
and had potato salad. And so what we said is that would be what it would be. You ever tried to deal cards and have a conversation at the same time? Well, because I played cribbage with my dad when I was a kid. Um, I can do that. That's talent. No wonder you're where you are in that chair. (laughs) My goodness. Oh, stop. All right. So, boys, I enjoyed this. We decided today that there will be some McLaughlin group coming and possibly karaoke. Uh, Have we chosen our songs yet? Do you have a song yet, Donovan? Uh, I, I think I'm going to go uh, go old school. Maybe I, I might release a little Canadian boy, Brian Adams. Oh, okay. What about you? Hurricane by Dylan. I'm going to either do I uh, Can't Help It If I'm Still In Love With You by Hank Williams, or or I might do Some Enchanted Evening from South Pacific. I haven't decided yet. I do love the musicals. And we have crickets. Thanks so much for tuning in. Jason Greger on the way. It's time for a sports update.